guys, I'm fantasy author J.H. Fleming. And I'm science fiction and fantasy author Philip Dreyer Duncan. And the quote of the day is, life's too short to write in a crappy notebook. <laughs> Unfortunately, Christopher is not with us this morning because, well, I just gave it away. It's morning. We are recording out of cycle. I was not feeling well when we normally record, so we didn't. And uh, now J.H. and I are recording last minute. She's making lots of background noise. Oh, am I? Which she probably shouldn't do because I'm pretty sure she and I are going to edit this and it's not going to have Chris's quality. Sorry, guys. <laughs> it is what it is. But um, we are coming off the tail end of a busy weekend. Mm-hmm. It's October and... We spent Friday the 13th at the Halloween Festival in Muskogee, Oklahoma. We took real-life Axel with us and my dear friend and J.H.'s bandmate, Jason. Mm-hmm. What was your favorite thing? Mine? Um, geez. I mean, I, I love going through all the haunted houses, but... Um, I don't know, just like, so the Ren Fair is one of my favorite things. Every year, the Halloween festival we went to is run by the same people in the same location as the Ren Fair. So it's returning to Castleton and getting to be there, but during my favorite holiday, which is Halloween, and getting to see it all decorated with the Halloween lights and then all the Halloween shops. And that's pretty cool. I like just just being there is, is a lot of fun during that time of year. And then they've got... Um, you know, like everyone's dressed up in costumes and they've got um, kind of like not really Halloween treats, but like um, they used to have like a hot butterbeer that was really good. And that one always kind of got me in a fall mood. They still have butterbeer, but they do the cold version, which isn't as good in my opinion. But I did have a hot apple cider, which was good. Um, I feel like they need a hot cocoa sort of thing going on. That'd be really good. I bet there probably was one somewhere. We just didn't find it. Yeah, we didn't find it. We'll have to check again next year when we go. But, like, they, they always do a really great job with all the haunted houses. Um, just wandering through and looking at all the different shops and decorations is really cool. They had all sorts of really cool, like, animatronics and decorations all over. Uh, like, both within within the different haunt, haunts, but also outside. Like, there was one when we were waiting in line for one of them that was really cool. Um you remember that one is like that giant, um, I don't know, gargoyle demon looking thing. That yeah, one was yeah, really, that was really cool. Yeah. I like that. Um, and I remember for last year was the first year they added a fourth like haunted mm-hmm. house to go through. And it's a clown themed one. And you uh, get to wear 3D glasses through it, and yeah. which makes everything like not just jump out at you, but like jump out at you, um, which is really cool. <laughs> And they had some ladies uh, dressed up as clowns in there, like jump out at you. And their face paint was like 3D, which was really cool. Mm-hmm. So their like clown face looked like it was closer. Uh, yeah. My least favorite thing was and is every year that as we're going through each of the haunted houses, JH always wants to hold my hand and <laughs> tries to rip my arm out of socket every time she jumps. 
Okay, so the thing is, the holding your hand is not because of, like, a scared thing. It's more like you try to, like, just rush through as fast as you can, and we've got a group, and I'm trying to slow you down because our group's not caught up with us. Or I see that we're catching up with the group ahead of us who's being really slow, and I want to wait a minute to let them go through because I know the actors who are trying to jump out and scare us aren't going to have time to reset if we're right on the heels of the group ahead of us. First of all, I set a perfect pace. We almost never catch up with the people in front of us. And when we do, I stop the group so that we don't. And then Mm -hmm. I try to make sure I make an effort to make sure we're getting there right at the right amount of time so that they jump out and scare you. Yeah, it's not really a thing. Like the jump scares might get me because I'm not expecting someone to be there. But like I don't really get scared going through those things. It's more like getting startled because someone suddenly there when they weren't a second ago but like when they're like just staring at me and walking toward me and giggling like that's that doesn't scare me do you know what scares me right now is that my headphones are beeping at me like they want to die so i'm not sure how long they're gonna make it yep (laughs) so yep that sounds like a dying thing yeah so anyways if you're anywhere in the Oklahoma region or in the Midwest where Muskogee is not too far for you. The Halloween festival is pretty cool. They run it for several weeks. Like I'm not sure how many, but uh, I want to say it's at least six, like the Ren Fair, because it starts the last weekend of October and the... goes at least through Halloween. Uh, yeah. Last weekend of September. Sorry. And goes at least through Halloween. So I, I can't remember if they end like, this year Halloween's on a Tuesday, so I don't know if the last weekend is the Friday or Friday Saturday before Halloween or after, but it's somewhere in there. Yeah, it runs for a while, and this year was cool because it there was a Friday the thirteenth yeah. that it landed on, so I, we made sure and went then. Um, what else is going on? My birthday just happened. I'm yeah a year wiser than I was a few days ago. <laughs> a whole year, uh, in just Jay, a few days. That's right. <laughs> JH got me my first ever Kindle, so my first ever ebook reader that's not my phone. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. I like that the screen doesn't look like a screen. It looks like something else. Yeah. I don't know how. I don't know how you describe that. But people know. You've seen ebook readers. It's really yeah. nice. I like it. Yeah, we decided to do that because so when we went to Superstars a couple years ago, I actually won a, I guess, what, what was it like a raffle type thing? They drew my name and yeah. I won my own e-reader. I never had one either. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess I had that um, Kindle Fire you got me, but that one was more like a tablet. It's not just an e-reader. Like you could get on the internet and stuff. But with the e-readers, it's, it's just books. So I won that and I've been using it since then. And, um, I like that, um, like we'd been talking about trying to buy more, um, digital books over physical. Like we still want to buy some physical, especially if it's a book by our favorite authors, but we've got probably over 2000 books between the two of us. So, um, kind of leaning more into, okay, if we're going to add more books to our house, they need to be by authors we absolutely love. If it's someone we've never heard of, eh, we could get an audiobook or an ebook. And the ebook route, um, definitely want to lean into the e-reader thing for that. So that's why I've been liking it and using it a bit more. 
Yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying it so far. Um, I appreciated it so much mm-hmm. that I am currently reading a novel that JH has wanted me to read forever, which is uh, Some Place to Be Flying by Charles DeLint. Yes. Yeah, I'm according yes. to my so good. according to my Kindle, I'm 36 percent done. Nice. Yeah, I do like that it tells you um, how many, like how the percentage and how many pages left in the book total. At least mine does. Tells me how many pages in the book total are left and then also how many in the chapter are left, which is really cool. You got to dink with the settings a little bit more. I think right now I have it set where it just tells me what page I'm on, but not how many are left. I don't know ah. if that's an option or not. I'll have to see. Right. In other news... What happened this week that was very exciting? Oh, you're talking about my book and album? Yeah. Yeah, so those released last Tuesday. So I had uh, my new book, Jack of Crows, is now out in all the places. And my band, Wildwood Minstrels, first album is now out as well. It's called Once Upon a Time. And it's folk music. um, So if you're into that sort of thing, definitely check it out. And yeah, they're out everywhere now. Go buy the stuff, people. Yeah. So that we can podcast (laughs) more for you. Yeah. I will say if you want a physical copy of the album, I highly recommend um, going to Bandcamp. It is a site where um, it's probably my favorite of all the music sites I've come across because you can order a physical album, but you can also order a digital And they have it set up to where if you order the physical, not only will you get that in the mail, but you'll get the digital version immediately. So you can already be listening to the album and still get a physical copy heading your way. Yeah. And that physical copy is very pretty. Very pretty. Mm -hmm. Yep. Aaron did a great job on that. Another cool thing to note with Bandcamp is um, you have the ability to, once you have the digital version, you can stream it directly from their app or website. You can also download it and then put it on whatever you listen to music on normally. So whether that's, you know, iTunes or your phone or, you know, something else completely, you can get it wherever you need it to be. Yeah. And if you Google Wildwood Minstrels once upon a time, it will come right up. So go get the stuff. Yeah. All right, should we uh, try to do the news before my uh, headphones give up? Sure. All right. And our first news story this week, as I am pretending like I'm not trying to do two things at once and remember to share my screen with JH while I'm talking and can't seem to do both at the same time. (gasps) Our first (laughs) news story this week is... Amazon has announced that the older format of the KDP reports will be removed from our KDP dashboard starting November 6th. Um, I didn't think this was a big deal, but I noticed in some of the writing groups I'm a part of, some people were, were grumbling about it. Um, I'm not sure what data they felt like they were getting in the old reports that they're not getting in the new. Um, I thought the new reports were pretty good and kind of told me everything I wanted to know. You know, I could look at all my, I can look at all my books at once and see their cells basically forever page reads through KDP. Um, I can separate everything out, do everything by, by title. Um, I don't think I have any problems with it. Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe somebody's smarter than me out there. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know either. I don't think I've seen the new ones versus the old ones yet. I'll have to look at it. 
if you haven't seen them, then you're probably looking at the new ones instead of the old ones. Okay. Well, I know I've looked at the old ones before, obviously, like, you know, in years past, I've looked at the reports, but like I looked just the other, like yesterday or the day before or something, and I didn't notice anything different. So could just be that I wasn't paying attention. I don't know. Yeah. So probably around the time you would have done uh, maybe the first music, the gathering book, when you would log in, there'd be a banner at the top to be like, see the new reporting. But for quite some time now, that's just been the standard. It kind of pops up, at least for me, I don't know how they do that. You know, it could not, they, they could be where not everybody sees the same thing and they've done it in like mm-hmm. a test group or whatever. But um, right. I noticed a while back it had kind of swapped where when I would go to report my reporting dashboard that I would just see what is the new. Um, I think they're fine. I've got no drama with them. So, but anyways, if you're someone yeah. who, you know, really likes the old reports, uh, I don't know, bummer. I, I have nothing to console you with because they're, they're going away. And sorry. All right, Jade, you got her next one. So this thing, I've actually got some questions on as well. So um, basically it's this author on, I guess she was on the new um, Blue Sky um, social media thingamajig that I'm not on yet. Um, so basically she, what she shared was she'd gotten, um, when she ordered her author copies for, yeah, when she ordered her author copies from Amazon, it arrived with a note that apparently she had written where she had marked that it was a damaged returned book that, um, you know, had been returned because it was a damaged thing and they were, Amazon was selling it to her as an author copy, which is kind of interesting. I mean, that also made me think, okay, like, I guess I've never had returns to know, like, okay, so this, does the return go to her? And then how then would it get back to Amazon after she's put the note inside? I guess that's my question. Yeah, she's not clear in the post that she made that the return damage copies were ones that, like, um, readers had bought separately and then somehow um, – I guess gave to her or if they were other author copies that she had bought and returned. Um, but either way that is, she's basically claiming that Amazon sent them back to her as author copies when she mm-hmm. bought new author copies. Um, and the way she knew that is cause she left a note inside of it. So, right. um, that's interesting. I hope that's not what they're doing. I mean, it could just be a one-off deal too. Well, what are the chances that the one-off, like that the one dude in the factory who would do that would happen to catch hers with the note inside it and send it back to her. So I don't know. Um, Nothing to get alarmed about probably is just something to like, kind of keep our eyes on, you know, that we're getting what we should be when we, I mean, I always check my author copies and make sure that they're not completely messed up. Right. Right. I mean, and for the most part, the Zon's been pretty good about sending me decent copies. There's been a few things Mm -hmm. here and there. Like I had, I had a copy once where like clearly it didn't get cut right. Like the pages didn't, um, Yeah. you know, but it was just like one copy out of a big group, you know, so it's not a big deal. I just gave that one away to somebody. And our next thingy, my bopper, um, a website called Statista put out an article where they were doing some research and gathering data around which uh, media industries were the most affected by piracy. And interestingly enough, they ranked publishing as the second most impacted by piracy. Um, No real surprise to me that TV was number one, but I think what did surprise me was film, as in movies, um, 
ranked behind publishing and actually was like they did like uh they got a little chart here that breaks it down by like percentage and so um they're saying that tv accounts for 46.3 percent publishing is 27.5 percent and film is 12.9 percent that's kind of surprising to me Hmm. yeah um of course music came in fourth I was just going to say that sort of makes sense in today's world because I've just speaking for myself, I've definitely watched more like TV shows lately than I have movies. I feel like TV shows, like, you know, all the different Marvel ones that have come out. And the, you got the Witcher series, Good Omens, yeah. like the TV shows are kind of the thing at the moment. Like people want something they can binge for a while with multiple seasons. So I, that yeah. does kind of make sense to me as far as like, that would be what people are going for over movies. Yeah. I just, I wouldn't have guessed that. Um, I mean, it makes sense to me that TV is in the number one. It just uh, surprises me that movies would be, you know, like not even half of what publishing is kind of surprised me when I saw yeah. that. Uh, music didn't surprise me because, like, you know, most people stream music today. Um, it's kind of wild that people are still pirating TV and movies, too, since all of that's in mm. relatively sh- cheap streaming services. So, yeah. um, But it was it was surprising to see that publishing is 27.5% of pirated media. That's interesting. Yeah. All right. Next news story. So um, there's a group called Society of Authors, and apparently they have um, posted an article on their website kind of spelling out all their concerns about Spotify's new streaming service for books, which we've mentioned on this podcast before, where um, Spotify has a new um, audiobook service. And basically what Society of Authors are claiming is that no authors or agents were approached for permission for this service from Spotify. Um, it, if that's true, it would just mean they just kind of decided to do it. And that also makes me, um, think that the publishers, agents, authors are not getting paid for those books. And, you know, you'd also have to need permission to be able to do that anyway. So it sounds kind of like a hairy situation if that's true. Well, point of clarity there. So it's, they're saying that Spotify has made deals with all the publishers, Mm, but gotcha. they're not contacting, but there's no deal been made with the authors or the agents. So this is an interesting thing to me because it really depends on the language agreed in the contract mm-hmm. with the publisher, right? So if the publisher has, if the publisher was granted, if the deal between the agent slash author and the publisher is that the publisher has full use of whatever audiobook is created for any way they seem to think they should be able to sell it uh, or use it, right? Then I don't think that the authors would have a leg to stand on. But if the language is more specific, right? Like we're mm-hmm. going to sell the audiobook at this amount and we'll put it on yeah. Audible for this amount. But there's nothing, then, then mm-hmm. maybe there's something there. If there's some kind of streaming thing in the contract, I just don't, there's no way to know without knowing what everyone's contracts looks like. Right. Right. Yeah. And, um, I haven't talked about it on the podcast before, but I have a, um, new part-time job where I am a, an administrative assistant for a literary agent, which has involved looking at some contracts. And that is something that's called out in all of them is like what the audiobook, you know, like 
rights are and royalties and all of that. So it really does depend on that's like a specific contract for not only um, each book or each author, but like, you know, is it like a, just a one book deal or is it a series deal or, you know, two book deal, whatever it is. And it's going to be different for each one. And it depends on what that contract states. And um, sometimes they have clauses in there where they have to, you know, at least like consult the author before doing something like that, or it's stated ahead of time or you have to let them know. So yeah, I, I, I don't know how that would work out here. Um, Cause it, it seems like it would have to be like, you'd have to go through each and every contract to clarify, you know, what the terms were for this specific book before moving on to the next and repeating the process. Yeah. Right. Um, which I would guess that I would like to give society of, I don't know anything about the society of authors, frankly. Um, it's mm-hmm. heralded as the UK's trade union for all types of writers, illustrators, and literary translators at every stage of their careers. I'm literally reading that off their website that's pulled up in front of my face. Um, But I would like (laughs) to think that part of those conversations with the authors and agents was kind of in the vein of they looked at the contracts before they threw this out here. And maybe there is something. I I don't know. But it's interesting. We'll see if anything comes of it or how it plays out. Right. All right. We're going to try to do this. Ready? In our continued coverage of our robot overlords. All right, Chris, you'll have to let me know how I did on that one. Um, (laughs) This one was really interesting to me, and I'm excited, not, well, both excited and anxious about talking about it. So um, the company Bowker is using DeepZen. Uh, and a, like a collaboration to create AI audiobooks, and that is due to come to the U.S. Uh, according to an article from Yahoo Finance, this collaboration has created AI-developed narration that sounds very close to a human. Uh, I was curious about that when I saw that, so I went to the DeepZen site, and they have some samples, and I've got to say the samples sounded pretty real. Um if, if those samples are truly indicative of the quality of a full audiobook, um, then they are scary good. Like, I have listened to a lot of audiobooks that sounded way worse and were way more annoying than what their AI samples sounded like. Um, so that, mm. I know that's something, um, you know, people we've talked about with the people at different conventions, there's various opinions on it. Like, I know... Um, I'm not going to throw any names under the under the bus here, but I, I know some relatively successful people in our industry that are like, I will absolutely use AI to narrate my audiobooks, um, and then others who you know live on the side of I don't want to disrupt narrators' lives. I'd rather use a human. Um, it's going to be interesting. Right. Like on the one hand, I can understand from a financial standpoint wanting to go that route. Like I, I looked into um, audiobook for my book that just released, and yeah, it's going to be pretty expensive, and it means I'm going to have to wait a while before I can afford doing that. But on the other hand, um, I wouldn't want to use AI for the same reason that I don't like um, the idea of like you know AI written books because it feels like okay, that's trying to replace me and my dream and 
for someone who's making, like, you know, trying to make a living as, you know, a, either an audiobook narrator, voiceover, whatever, it's the same thing for them. So as a creative myself, like, I don't feel comfortable using AI for anything where I, normally I would hire a human because if I wouldn't want them to, to replace me with AI, I, I can't replace them with AI. I just can't. So here's my, here's my question. I'm weighing in my head morally how I feel about this. So to get a high-end elite narrator for a full-size novel, let's say in the neighborhood of $10,000, right? Hmm. Would you be okay with using an AI narration to get you an audiobook that you could get out there and then fund getting you a real narrator and then replacing your AI one, right? So if you could sell $10,000 worth of AI ones, would you be would you consider then pulling it down and having a real narrator do it? If if it allowed for the funds to pay for a real person doing the narration, I'd consider it at least. The problem I see there would be um, the readers who listen to those books and like the, like, you know, say they have a preference for the AI and they want me to keep it up. But like, I wouldn't want to keep it up in that situation. Like I would want the, the human red one to be the one people find and listen to. So I can see potentially upsetting readers with mm -hmm. going that route um, for the financial part of it. I don't see a problem with that. It's like if, if the AI, gives me the funds to then get the actual narrator I want for the book, then okay, yeah, and then I'm getting rid of the AI version. That one's okay to me. So, okay, so the samples I listened to sounded really um, solid. They sounded really good, right? But the one thing they didn't have in those samples, and I don't know how it's going to work, is the best narrators create individual voices for each of the pertinent characters, right? And I, I don't know that the mm -hmm. AI is going to do that. I imagine it'll take it a while to get to where it can right. do that well. Um, so I don't... So to me, the narrator becomes part of the art when it's out. That's part of the draw. Like, there's definitely books I've right. listened to that if I'd read, I wouldn't have enjoyed as much as I do listening to the narrator. Um Right. In fact, right now I'm listening to Miles Cameron's um, Mage and Masters trilogy or Masters and Mages. I can't remember what it's called. Um, but super shout out to the narrator for the voice of Calatronas. I love it. Every time he calls the main character Bozo. Okay, Bozo. I love it. It kills me. Um, so <laughs> that's where I was like, I don't, so I don't think, well, okay, I'm going to say two things. One, I with that in mind, unless the AI can do that, I don't think listeners are going to really complain. Like, I know it's the worst to, like, start an audiobook, like, start a series of audiobooks and the narrator changes. I get that could be annoying, but it's less so annoying when the narrator gets better. So I think if you, you're switching from a robot voice that just sounds the same throughout to a narrator who does different things, I think that would be okay for most people. And also, secondly, I'm not sure I oh, I shouldn't say this out loud. I'm not sure I care if they had a problem with it because I would rather have a human be a part of the art 
And if the only way I can get a human to be a part of the art is to first use the robot to get the funds to go make the human be a part of the art, that probably seems worth it to me, even if it annoys a few people. Going back to what you were saying about the different voices. um, So to me, where that sticks out would be especially like a series. Um, So obviously, even if the AI can somehow do different voices, like say you can assign you know, voices somehow to each of your characters, would it be able to carry that over to say book two, where you've got some of the same characters who need to have the same voice they had in book one, but you've also got new characters who need brand new voices. And then the same thing with book three and book four and so on. Um, That is something um, when you're talking about like really good narrators, the one that comes to my mind was the Chronicles of St. Mary's. Um, Zara Ram does pretty much all of those audiobooks. I think there's like maybe one short story she didn't do because it was um, from the point of view of one of the male characters. So they had a a male narrator do that one, whereas the rest of them, it's, it's from the main female point of view. So they just have Zara do all of those. But like Basically, like when I'm reading the Chronicles of St. Mary's, the main character is named Max and like Zara's voice, like she is Max for me and right. you know all the other characters. Like I couldn't, it wouldn't be the same if she weren't part of it. So like a really good narrate, audiobook narrator can really become part of the story and um, just make it, come, you know, that much more alive for you when you're listening. Oh yeah, for sure. If I were Lord Emperor of the world, I would demand that Nick Podell and <laughs> Luke Daniels just follow me around all day reading to me. <laughs> like both those narrators are so good. I literally go look for books by them, yep. right? So, um, yeah. All right, cool. Well, that's our news. Woo. I mean, actually, before I close that out, let me just say this. If anyone has – I would like to actually hear people's opinions on that. So – um, especially on the moral dilemma that I brought up, I would like to get people's opinions on if you're against using AI holistically because you you don't want to cut authors out, are you opposed to using the AI to get the foothold you need, the financial foothold you need to then go hire the actual artist out? Let me know. Right. For um, our tools segment this time, I wanted to talk about, um, I don't really know how what you would call these kind of book planning tools, uh, maybe book organization tools, scheduling tools, that sort of thing. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, right organization term. might be good. Yeah, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, um, I'll, I'll get into that. But basically, and this might be a personality thing too. Um, so even when I would do more pantsing than plotting, um, I have this thing I do as far as like scheduling when I work on certain books. Um, and this has to do with like the deadlines I set myself when I'm working on draft one of a certain book, when I'm working on draft two of that book and three and four and however many I do for them. And then also what I'm working on, like in between those drafts, if I'm working, you know, if I'm switching between different ones. Um, so what I use, this is, you know, me personally, and I want to hear kind of what Phil does as well. Um, so for the actual scheduling of this, I use a software called Asana. Um, it's, you can get it as like a, um, browser based type thing. And they've also got a computer app. So, and you can get it on your phone as well. And for me, where that one really shines is, um, kind of like the scheduling thing, like I mentioned. So let's say I want to set up a recurring task every day, 
Um, I can even set a time on it. So, you know, we'll just say 10 a.m., whatever. And I want to write a thousand words on my current novel. And I can do that and I can set a deadline for that project as well. And then I can also set up, you know, what's the next book I want to work on when that one's done. And I can get as deep into the weeds in that as I want to get. Um, And for me, I use it for pretty much when I'm scheduling anything, whether that's a novel, if I want to schedule like my exercise routine, um, when I'm working on Phil's books, when I have, you know, my Fiverr clients, I'm I'm putting that in there as well. Um, Pretty much anything that involves like a deadline and I need to have things you know done by certain dates, I'm using Asana for that. And that's A-S-A-N-A. Um, it's absolutely wonderful for that sort of thing, um, especially with the re- like the recurring tasks. Um, so that one's like, okay, I, I had this task today, but I have to do it again tomorrow and I have to do it again the next day. So like those habitual type tasks. Um, Asana has the ability to do that, which is really great. Another one I use, this one's more of like a database type thing, is called Airtable. And that one I used kind of for like the kind of details of my novel. So um, what my plan for it is, whether I'm going to be traditionally submitting it or self-publishing it, or it's going to go to like a smaller indie type press, um, I record like the dates I worked on it. So like my start date, my deadline, what my actual end date was, what my word counts were for each draft. And again, I know I'm weird and I'm tracking all this stuff. A lot of you probably don't care. But if you do care about that sort of thing, I find it really helpful. Um, I end up referencing it a lot when I'm doing submissions. So um, if I need to like just quickly see, okay, what was my final word count for this book? My Airtable database will tell me, what my final word count for all my books are. Um, and I can also do a little bit of um, kind of planning ahead with, you know, what am I working on next and so on. I do look at a little bit more in Asana, but I can kind of rearrange, you know, the the order of books and things in Airtable for, you know, sort of the same purpose, but just to see it in a different format. And that one's really fun. Hello there, train. What? Do you hear that train coming? Oh. <laughs> I'll stop. <laughs> what did he catch yes. you before you got too far? Train ad spot. Red is the rose that in yonder garden grows. Fair is the lily of the valley. Clear is the water that flows from the All right, so unless we forget, what you just heard, instead of a normal book train ad, was Red is the Rose off of J.H.'s new album, Once Upon a Time by Wildwood Minstrels. If we did forget, then I'm not sure what you just heard. All right. <laughs> it could Where be were anything. you? J- could be anything. Where were you, J.H.? All right. Yeah, I was talking about Airtable and kind of what I use that for. Again, that one's more of a database type thing, just kind of a catch-all information where it's kind of like in like a table type view. Um, I can just log in and find the data really quickly and easily, and it's really great for that. 
Um, another I just recently started using, actually, before I talk about that one, I'll talk about um, OneNote. So still, I don't use OneNote um, a lot. I've been, I kind of switched to it as my main note-taking app, and I had things in, in it for um, like world-building type things or just like notes about stories I want to work on someday. But um, I don't know. I've never been super in love with it. And this is just me. I know Phil's shaking his head at me. Um, but I, I recently had to start using another software called Notion um, for my new job that I mentioned earlier. And that one is um, just another kind of um, project management um, software that's on, you know, again, all, all of these have been on, there's a browser version, there's an app version, there's a desktop app version, so you can, you know, access your stuff all over. But the cool thing about Notion is it has a little bit of like the to-do list type thing, not as great as Airtables. Um, it can also do some of the database stuff like Airtable, Um uh, I'm sorry, I said not like Airtables. I meant not like Asana's. Um, for the database stuff, it's not quite as good as Airtables as well. It can't handle as much information at once. So like once you get a few hundred rows on your screen, it's going to start freezing on you. But where it really shown for me was um, the ability like to have like the different notes and how they can link to various pages. So I basically built myself my own kind of like book hub where I've got like all like the um, like book information for things I want to work on in the future and like world building things and um, like info, info for series. Is that able to upload like my maps and whatnot, character info? It's It's been really cool for kind of not only like the individual book and series planning, but also as an author, like, okay, like the working on next sort of things and arranging things how I like them. So I'm, I'm using that in conjunction with Asana and Airtable, but it, it with that note ability, it's kind of adding a new layer to it, as well as with the linking that I mentioned, where it's like, okay, I'm looking at, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of an example. Maybe I'm looking at a character sheet and I've got that this character has this relationship with this other character. And as soon as I mention that other character, there's a link to that character's character sheet. And I can do all sorts of stuff like that. You, you basically can link all the things you want in it. Um, so that's been really, really cool for me. Um, Phil told me he, that OneNote, he thinks OneNote might be able to do something similar. But if it can, I've never found it. <laughs> I had myself muted. Um Oh, no. Yeah, so I, she has all of that, and I have looked at all of it, and it's all pretty neat. I am, in many ways, a simple creature, and I pretty <laughs> much, it's going to be hard to move me off of OneNote, because I've just put so much of my um, stuff in there, and it pretty much does everything I need. Um, I know I've talked about before how I built my own wikis in there for my books, I think it's fine for that. It seems to work really well. Um, other things I do with it is I have like a daily to do. And basically I will pretty much every morning I will copy and paste yesterday's and then I will clear everything down, update what chapter I'm on on my works in progress, things like that. Add in other little bits and bobs I need to do that day that was different than the day before. 
and I roll with that. I also have a way that I track like kind of yearly goals in there. Um, I have, uh, uh, I have travel, a travel checklist. So every time we go somewhere like this weekend, we, you know, we went down to, um, Muskogee, like we said, and then we had to go over to the Fort Smith area for a thing for JH's family. So I have like a travel checklist that I just copy and paste every time we're going somewhere. And I just quickly will change how many sets of each clothing item I need. And if there's any oddball things I need to take with me, I use it for, I have the same thing like every year, my dad and I put on this big annual float trip thing. And so like every year I've got a list of all of our boats and how many people I can seat and that sort of a thing. And then we get the guest list and I just recycle it. I do the same thing for Christmas shopping every year. So I just like, I pretty much live out of one note and I just sync it between mm-hmm. all my computers and my phone and just try to keep it up to date. And yeah, I basically live out of it. So I, I've got no drama with one note. I'm sure yeah. things are better, but I just, I haven't seen anything yet that does it all in one platform the way I want it to. So I'm kind of stuck for the moment. Yeah, I actually have said the same thing about I basically live out of, but for me, it's definitely a sauna um, as far as like, you know, keeping on top of what I need to do on a day-to-day basis. A sauna is it for me. Yeah, OneNote and my Google calendars are basically my life. Mm -hmm. All right, cool. Anything else on the tools front? I think that's it. Okay. All right, for Creatives on Fire this week, um, I just have a couple things to do reasonably quick because my headphones are still squawking at me, and I don't know if we're going to get to the end of this. So if I am stopped (laughs) abruptly, you will know that it was my headphones that died and not me that died. Um, So I noticed the other day I was roaming through life, and I just was like, I wonder how the stock market's doing because I don't really pay attention to it. And I noticed that it had had kind of dropped quite a bit and I had like noticed a few people like, you know, I, I think probably what got me on it was somebody had mentioned something about it being down or whatever. And I was like, Oh, cool. How down is it? And, um, I think it's important to have, like, if you're pursuing that, you know, if you're pursuing investing and trying to learn it, it's funny to me how like the crowd panics, right? It's like people are like, Oh, the stock market's down. This sucks my brain immediately was like, Oh shoot, I wish I had some more money I could dump in there right now while it's down. Um, and I think that's the right perspective to have. Um, I won't, you know, I won't go too far into that cause we've talked about it numerous, numerous times, but I just thought it was interesting that my brain immediately went to what I think is the right healthy place to be is, Ooh, I wish I had some more money to dump in there right now while it's down. And I think it's jumped back up a little bit since then, you know, so darn. <laughs> the other update I want to give, um, which is, was not updated. It's, it's useful, but it's, um, an update on my best buy credit card. And this was kind of, kind of funny. So a couple months ago I talked about how, um, I got JH a new MacBook, and I wanted to use, I used or I opened a best buy credit card to do that because they had a really good like percentage back. I don't remember what it was, 10% or something like that. And um, I'm like, yeah, that's cool. And then I've used it at different places because it had really good, you know, rewards for, uh, I think, uh, grocery stores and gas stations, I think was like 2% or something like that. So I've been using it for that. 
And uh, what is JH doing with her face right now? Don't answer that. It's usually Chris who makes weird faces while I'm talking. This time it's JH. I don't know what she's doing. Um, anyway, so I was paying my bills the other day and I thought, you know, I've not looked to see how my rewards are stacking up in Best Buy. I should check that out. And so this is really, I guess, the, the information for you as a listener is like, pay attention to your rewards and what they what they do and how they work because it turned out my best bar my best buy card worked different than any other card i've had um, when i went to the rewards what it does is you can go into the account and set a threshold and every time you hit that threshold it issues you a gift certificate and it had issued me several gift certificates because it issued my, my threshold was set to five bucks and it's like, okay, well, that's not a big deal, except the gift certificates expire. So all of the reward points that I'd gotten back from that original purchase were about to expire. I had like a week or less than a week to spend them, and I was going to lose them. I was going to lose like 150 bucks, um, And then I had like another 150 or something stacked up in there. And those, you know, the whole thing I was going to lose between the next week and the next month. Um, so I reset the threshold to something where I wouldn't issue it at five bucks. And then I was like, I got about $300 or so in rewards, coupons, certificates, whatever that I'm going to end up losing if I don't do something. So, um, uh, JH has a PS5 now. So congratulations for JH. Woo! PS5 now. <laughs> Which, uh, I feel like most people would have been a little more grateful about. You were just like, ah, cool, whatever. <laughs> In my defense, so for me, I don't care about consoles so much, which may be weird to say. I care about the games. So it'd be different if there was a particular PS5 game that like was coming out only on PS5 and I couldn't play it anywhere else. And yeah, I'd be really excited because I want to play my game. But I don't really have any at the moment that are particularly PS5. So, like, I'm still excited about multiple games, but, like, they're on other consoles. So, that was the only reason I was, like, you know, I, I'm appreciative and I'm excited to see what I can play on it. But there just aren't any games at the moment that are, you know, only on PS5 that I'm just really excited about. Yeah, and that could well, change. Anyway... The point is, make sure that you know how your credit card rewards things work. That's the first one I've had that expires. Like, none of my other ones um, that I've had over the years, none of them expire, right? Like, my Amazon through Chase doesn't expire. My Chase Reserve doesn't expire. My Discover ones don't expire. None of the others, you know, that I've had. I've had several. Um, have I ever ran into that? And I just caught it at the last moment. was like, well, i got to figure out how to spend this 300 bucks, or I just lose it, and it was all pointless, so... Anyway, that uh, that's it. So, JH, tell the folks where to find you. Um, yeah, I'm on um, all the social media places, uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Tumblr, Instagram. Um, also on a bunch of music places now. Um, I definitely recommend Bandcamp as the main one if you're interested in getting the new album. Um, but also on other ones like Spotify and Amazon Music, that, you know, all the all the main places where you might listen to music and oh and my website um jhfleming.net and i'm philip dreyer duncan you can find me at philipdreyerduncan.com and places where books be sold buy my books yo thank you okay bye <laughs>
Bye. Bye. Did you get that? What was that character's name? Oh, Mona Lisa Saperstein. Yeah. Bye. <laughs>